Hey, Brine Lions! I'm Tim. And I'm Emily. And this is On the Hill with Tim and Emily. Hey, this morning I have the opportunity to uh, introduce our guest speaker who will be kicking off our spring semester uh, this year in chapel. Uh, Nick Person is his name. He comes to us from New Vision Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Nick is married to a, his wonderful wife, Laura. They've been married for 17 years, correct? Awesome, 17 years. They have three wonderful children. <clears throat> I just want you to know, you're in for a treat this morning. A treat. Uh, we got a man who is here with us who is deeply passionate about the gospel being presented, of the gospel being heard, and deeply passionate about people coming to know Jesus. And you're going to get to experience his passion this morning. So if you would, please give Nick a warm Bryan College welcome. Thank you, LJ. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing here at Bryan College on this early Wednesday morning? Y'all good? Some of y'all are good. Some of y'all got to wake up. You're going to have to wake up, everybody. Um, like LJ said, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and so there is no other baseball team than the Atlanta Braves, in my opinion, but that's okay. Um, yeah, thank you for some of you who are wise. That's good. Um, and again, my wife, her name's Laura. She is way out of my league. You see us together, and you wonder, how did a guy like that get a girl like that? Prayer works, y'all. Amen. Prayer works. And we really, we have these three amazing kids, and they're not amazing because they're my kids. They're amazing because they're amazing. My daughter is 14. Her name is Ava, and she's the most beautiful young lady I've ever met, and I just happen to be a part of being her daddy, and so it's kind of great. Um, and then we have our oldest son. His name is Jackson. He is 12 years old. He'll turn 13 in March. I love him. I love being able to look at the world through his eyes. And then our youngest his name is Nash, and the best way to describe him is he is wide open. And if you're the third kid, you understand. Your parents just get tired, and they're just like, I give up. You can have whatever you want. And so I'm going to have to pay for him to lay on someone's couch, but that's fine. It's healthy, and so it's going to be good. And I am so excited to be here. Now, I will tell you, LJ has been so kind to me as I've come to Brian. I brought my friend Danny with me, and he sent me a text, and he said, Nick, do you want anything? And I said, well, LJ, I do want something. I, I either want a honey butter chicken biscuit from Whataburger. Anybody? Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lamb. Or I would like for you to get me a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit because there's nothing better. And so he went to the local Chick-fil-A. And, y'all, there is something about a chicken biscuit. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Where, like, I don't know what's in I don't know if baby angels are back there helping bake the biscuits. I don't know. Some of y'all like, his theology is off. That was a joke, everybody. That was a joke. But there's something about a chicken biscuit. I mean, and, and when it comes out, it is hot, and you open it up, and it's like you have this anticipation because you know the wonder that you're about to experience, and you are worshiping the lamb. You're like, Jesus, you are high and lifted up. I'm fully surrendered. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for chicken biscuits. Amen? Amen. And you open it up, and it's all buttery, and you're like, oh, Lord, behold the glory. It's like peeking behind the Holy of Holies and going, I see you, I see you. And then you see it and you're just like, wow, look at this. And you're almost anticipating the bite even before you take it because it's absolutely perfect. There is nothing that it needs. Standing by itself, it is perfect. Well, LJ brought me this gift. Again, it was a gift. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to get it. But LJ, in his kindness, brought me this biscuit. But what if I looked at this and said, you know what, LJ, man, that's a great biscuit, and Chick-fil-A has been spending 40 years perfecting that recipe, but I think I know better. I think Chick-fil-A may have missed it, and I think it needs a little 
something else. And so I said, you know, LJ, um, the chicken biscuit is good, but I really, really like oysters. Well, fix your face. Fix your face. LJ, I really like oysters, and I mean, I really feel like this chicken biscuit is great, but man, I stopped at the local Publix, and I got some clam juice. And I... And LJ, like, there's something about just an oyster that, oh, just blesses me. And so I go, you know what, that, that chicken biscuit is pretty perfect, pretty good, but I think it needs a little something else. So I go, you know, I'm just going to add to the butter and the chicken, just a little, oh, oh, soak up that goodness. Praise the lamb. Um, and I'm like, you know what, man, that, that was good. But also, I really, really like my chicken biscuits with a little something else, you know, like, that is good. I'm really, really a fan. I really like sweet tea, and nothing says a good glass of sweet tea like some lemon. You need a little lemon in your sweet tea. Anybody else? Or a lime. If you're really from the South, it's a lime. And I say, you know what? That clam juice is great, but I want to add a little bit, just a little, little, mm, just a little bit, little, mm, mm, little splashy splash. There we go. And I'll be like, you know what else? I love flavorful things, and so I need a little bit more to this. And um, I also saw this lemon butter dill flavored seafood sauce. I like, y'all are like, what's wrong with this brother? A lot. But, you know, and I'm like, you know, I, I love that on salmon. I love it on seafood. I think it'll be great. So let me just go with a little lemon butter dill. I think it'll add to the clam and the lemon. So just, oh, it's like gravy. But the last thing. And we're on this kind of seafood kick. I love seafood. Um, you know, I like, I like cocktail sauce, too, because cocktail sauce is really something. I love the spice. It hits you, and it just makes everything glorious. And I'm going to go, you know what? A little cocktail sauce will make this biscuit next level. So I take a little bit of the cocktail sauce, and I just go, oh, yeah. Then I stand back, and I'm like, oh, that is beautiful. Look at it. I mean, I know I got this perfect chicken biscuit as a gift. I know that LJ went out of his way. He gave me a gift. He paid for it in full, and he gave it to me to enjoy and to just enjoy every moment of it. But I feel like I know a little bit better than Chick-fil-A knows and better than LJ knows. And so you know what? I wanted to make it better. But the problem is I did not make it better. It may have appeared that I made it better. I might have said, but I come from a place that we use cocktail sauce on everything, and we use clam sauce and clam juice on everything. And you might go, from my perspective, I'm making it better. But the truth of the matter is, I cannot improve on something that was perfect. Let me say it again in case you didn't hear what I just said. I cannot improve on something that is perfect. And what we see in the beginning of our story, the beginning, really, the gospel did not start in a manger. It started in a garden. In the beginning of this thing called gospel was these people who God gave perfection. He gave everything they could need, they could want, an unhindered relationship. There was no shame. There was no nothing in between us and the King of kings and the Lord of lords other than relationship. But Adam and Eve, sitting in their position, listened to a serpent. And the serpent put a question of doubt in their hearts and said, is God really who he says he is and is he really for you? Is he really who he says he is and is he really for you? 
and a seed of doubt was planted. And as we dive into Genesis 3, we're going to see how this story unfolds where these two people had perfection, but they thought it needed a little something else. And what did they create? Not a more perfect world, but chaos. When sin entered the world, it just created chaos. It perverted what God intended for good. That's what sin is. It's just missing the mark. It's missing what was intended. And we're going to see as we dive into Genesis 3, which may be a very familiar story to you, but here's what I believe. I believe in our theology, we don't ever get past the gospel. Like there's never a point where we go, you know what? I've heard too much about this king who gave his life to redeem what was lost and restore what was missing. We don't ever get to a place where we're too far beyond that. So today we're going to sit in the mess that this is and see what our king's response was to the mess. And we are going to see that the king was able to take beauty from ashes. Even though chaos entered, God loved us enough to take the mess and do something beautiful. So right where you are, let's pray as we dive in. Father God, for these students here at Bryan College, Lord, I don't know what kind of space or place they find themselves in. I don't know what's going on in their lives. I don't know what's going on in the rhythm of their belief. But Lord, I just pray that as we dive into your word, that we will be reminded of what is true. Lord, that we will hear these words and not just hear what everyone has always said, but that we will hear them for ourselves and that we are able to hide this truth in our hearts and that our steps and our life will reflect this beautiful thing we call the gospel. And Lord, maybe, just maybe, in our midst there is someone who has not yet surrendered their life to the king and accepted his love and grace. Lord, I pray that that happens in this place and in this space. But Father, what I pray for all of us is that we are encouraged by your word, that we are reminded of what is true, that this is not just something that has become so familiar that it has seemed to be less life-changing, but that we will be reminded in this place that your gospel is still transforming lives. Lord, may we walk in step with it. And Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. We're going to dive into Genesis 3 just to bring you up to speed. The garden is a beautiful place, a place of harmony, a place of beautiful relationship, a place where Adam and Eve have been able to put their stamp on creation. And God was doing things. Adam was working. Eve was working. They were partnering with God in perfect unity and harmony. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent enters into this storyline. And we're going to see how it all goes downhill and it gets really messy before it gets beautiful. But we're going to walk slowly through the process. So Genesis 3.1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let me just give you some free information right here, right now. Some of you like snakes. Some of y'all are like, ooh, great pets. No, they're not. Some of you are like, I have a pet snake that loves me. No, it does not. You're like, yes, it does. I even sleep with my snake because we're that close. Let me go ahead and be honest with you. Your snake is sizing you up and trying to figure out how to eat you. It's true. Your snake does not like, oh, when it looks at you, it's not like, you get me. I love you. Let's walk in perfect harmony together. 
No, your snake is like, wait till I get big enough to eat you. It's going to be on. And there are friends of mine that have snakes, and I judge them, and I keep them arm's distance because I'm like, I can't really trust you. You have a snake, right? So Eve is here in the garden, and it says this serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, here's what's interesting. A lot of times I'll judge this and go, Eve, why are you talking to a serpent, girl? Like, you ever think about it? Like, you having a conversation with a snake? Where are your friends? Adam, where are you doing? Intervene right now. Hey, hey, Eve, you probably shouldn't be talking to a serpent. That's kind of weird. But listen, as I was thinking that, sometimes for me, the Holy Spirit will will show up and I didn't invite him. And he goes, Nick, why are you picking that Eve? I was like, because she's talking to a serpent. And this is what I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me. Nick, how often have you talked to things that want to take your life instead of give you life? Well, I don't appreciate you getting all in my business, Holy Spirit. (laughs) But think about it. She's engaging this thing that really wants to take her life, right? And she thinks that she's in control of the situation. This is sin, everybody. We think that we control it. We think that we can become best friends with it, and we won't reap any of the circumstances or consequences from it, but that's simply not true. Hear me, and hear me well. Sin will always cost you more than you ever want to pay and take you further than you ever want to go. And I'm telling you, for some of us, we go, amen. Because I'm telling you, every time I have engaged in something to sin, it always costs me more than I ever wanted to pay. Always. And somehow I have this dysfunctional thinking of thinking I'm the one in control. And the serpent in this story does the same thing that it does today. The enemy put a question mark where the king put a period. He goes, did... Did the king really say, did God really say, is he really believable? Can you really believe what he is saying? He put a seed of doubt in the the heart of truth. Did he really? And really what he's saying is, God really for you? Does God really have your best interests? I think there might be more. I think God is holding something from you. I think God is holding back really what it means to have abundance. Did he really? He put a question mark where the king and creator put a period. Verse number two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open." And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's what the enemy does too. The enemy very much will take the truth and just move it one degree. And we all know that the most dangerous lie is a lie that's most closest to the truth. So he goes, hey, did God really say this? Did he say this? And here, let me tell you, you won't surely die. Here's the other thing. Eve is misquoting God a little bit. God didn't say you would die. And here's what I want to encourage all of us. We need to make sure we know what the king actually says. Hear me. That's why we have the word of God. Go to it and read it. Let's see what the king has said. Let's see what Jesus did. Let's see how he lived. Don't just take somebody's word for it and then put that as something you anchor your life on. Read it for yourself, everybody. Ask questions. God, why did you say that? What's happening in the context of this? We need to make sure we know what the king actually says. Why? Because when counterfeit comes, we can identify it better. 
Why? Because we have been sitting in the truth and in front of the truth. And so when counterfeit comes, we know and can identify because it's counterfeit. One of the things I try to be intentional with right now, my daughter is 14 years old. I want to show her what it looks like for a man to respect her and love her. I want to take her on dates. I want to open the door for her. I want to bring her mama flowers. I will bring her a single flower because I want her to know that, hey, I love you, but your mama. Woo, right? <laughs> Why do I do that? Because I want her to see what authentic love looks like so that when some young punk comes spitting some weak game to her, she'll go, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's counterfeit. That is not looking out for my best interest. You're seeking to get something from me. You don't have something for me. And I want to show her what it means to walk in relationship in a healthy, healthy way. So I want her to see the truth. I don't always get it right. But I want her to see what it really looks like so that she can go back and go, you know what? That is not love. We need to make sure what the king says. We need to make sure we see how the king has lived. So when counterfeit comes, we can identify. So when someone comes to you and says, hey, the word of God says this, you go, mm, it actually doesn't say that. Well, doesn't God want you to be happy? Guys, honestly, like I've read the Bible several times. I can't find that verse. I can't. I can't find what the Lord says. He wants you to be happy. No, he wants you to be full. He wants you to be abundant. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to be healthy. But I can't find happy. Because the truth of the matter is, walking in relationship with my king, I'm not always happy. You know why? Because it's not oftentimes where I'm happy about being selfless. Not oftentimes when I'm happy about being humble. I mean, when you walk in humility, y'all, I'm like, oh. Because I want to tell everybody how great I think I am. I don't want to serve. I want to be served. I mean, and so when I'm invited to walk as Christ, it is not convenient and it is not a happy time most of the time. We need to know what the king actually said. Verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You know what she did? She fixed her eye on sin. She fixed her eye on what wanted. And here's the thing we need to know. Whatever we fix our eyes on is what we walk towards. Whatever you fix your eyes on is what you walk towards. And you will sacrifice, you will surrender, you will do anything you can do in order to get what your eyes are fixed upon. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So listen, sometimes we make those easy jokes of, man, if it wasn't for Eve, no, if it wasn't for Adam, Adam, do what you were supposed to do. Right? I didn't get many amens on that. That's fine. They both were responsible here. They both settled for second rate and less than. They both were willing to sacrifice paradise for chaos. They both were there. Adam could have very easily said, hey, Eve, actually, what God said was this, and actually, we really shouldn't be talking to a serpent. But no, he followed, and he ate as well. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They never thought that by taking a bite of fruit, that it would cost them all that it cost them. 
We have heard story of story after story after story of people who have stepped into sin and it cost them way more than they thought. They never thought it would cost them as much as it cost. But sin always overpromises and underdelivers. That's what sin does. And then we finally taste and see that it is not legit, that it's counterfeit, and we go, oh, now I know. You don't have to take a bite to know. How many stories do we have to hear? But yet this is what sin does. And then they do something that we all try to do. They try to cover their sin with inadequate means. Let me give you some inadequate means, some fig leaves that we use today. Hey, Lord, I'm a really good athlete. So I don't have to abide by the normal rules because I'm really, really good. I'm really, really gifted. I'm really good at talented. So look how good I am on a field. And let me show you why you should affirm me, why you should love me, why you should forgive me. Lord, let me show you this fig leaf. It's inadequate. Lord, I'm really, really smart. Lord, I, uh, I, I do really good in school. And, and Lord, let me show you that my fig leaves are inadequate. But look, I make really good grades. For God, look, I'm serving. God, I serve at church, I go to church, I do all the things. I'm going to earn this free gift. And so, God, I know it's inadequate, but I'm going to keep trying and striving and showing you that even though these fig leaves are inadequate, I want you to see them as just, and they're not. They're not. Because those fig leaves were inadequate at covering their sin and shame. May I say to us today, our fig leaves are still inadequate at covering our sin and shame. And I know the mask looks good, and you might think, hey, I'm fooling everybody. I'm fooling everybody. These fig leaves are working. You cannot fool the king. You can't. And can I just say this? This is just from my own personal story. It is tiring trying to. To try to be enough and to cover your sin and shame with inadequate means, trust me, as a 41-year-old man, it is tiring. And it never Ever works. It's inadequate at covering you. Verse number eight. This part's so sad to me. Every time I read it, I'm like, oh. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin always makes you want to go run and hide. I want you to think about something. Typically, when Adam and Eve heard the, vo- the footsteps of their king and the voice of their God, what did they typically do? Run to it. But now they're running from it because of their sin and shame. I think about my own life. I think about when I fall short, when I am aware of my sin and brokenness. The Lord gives me an invitation to run to him, but yet I run away trying to hide. And it's foolishness to really, when you really think about it, you can't hide from a God that sees all. But yet we're guilty of trying. Verse number nine. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Woo, I love that. Adam and Eve are hiding and their king is calling. Where are you? Beloved, where did you go? Creation I made with my hands, where are you? Adam, I gave you the ruah, my very breath in your lungs. You are breathing the very air I gave you. Where are you? And they both were hiding. 
They're hiding because their shame could not be covered by the fig leaves in which they made with their own hands because it was inadequate. They're hiding because they feel the weight of their sin. They're hiding because why would a good and gracious king invite someone to come out in the open that has fallen short? It doesn't make sense. So everything in them, it made sense to be hiding, but God is still calling for them. And can I say this to you? He's still calling for you. He saw you as worthy of pursuit. You. Don't you think he sought after me? Yes. The king always makes the first step. First number 10. He answered, talking about Adam. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? That goes, who told you you need to be ashamed? Who told you that you need to run and hide? Who told you that you are now less than? Who told you that you are now no longer worthy? Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who has come into this perfect picture and made a mess out of it? Who told you? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse number 12, it gets ugly. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Oh, no, you didn't, Adam. He threw Eve straight under that bus, y'all, quick. (laughs) But hear the heart of this, and this is, this is, this is crazy. In essence, what Adam is doing right now is he is blaming God for his position. He goes, God, if you hadn't made that woman for me, that gift, that helpmate, then I wouldn't be in this place and in this circumstance. So the accused is accusing the king of his infraction. It doesn't get any better. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I That serpent that you allowed to be around him tempted me, and that's why I fell. That's why I didn't do the right thing, because really, ultimately, God is sure fault. If you hadn't put this within me, if you hadn't put this around me, if you would have done better, God, then I would be better, God. And God's going, I put you in paradise. I gave you everything you could ever want. I gave you relationship with me. I gave you food. I gave you nourishment. I gave you belonging. And yet you traded that, and now it's my fault because you chased after less than, and that's what you got. And as I read these words, y'all, I really, really want to point the finger at Adam and Eve, but the more I read this story, the more I see myself. Because for all of us, it is always somebody else's when we fall short when we don't do our part when we are feeling the weight of sin and shame well if my parents have raised me better if I hadn't been hurt if they had given me different desires it is always somebody else's fault but listen the thing I keep being confronted with is every time I have fallen short the only person that is always there is me Every single time I have sinned, I'm present. Everybody else is not always present. 
but I always am. And it'd be easy for me to be like, well, you know, yeah, I'm always there, but it's still their fault. No, no. Y'all, I'm just telling you, for all of us, we don't have a bend towards health or righteousness. We all have a bend towards dysfunction and unhealth. You don't drift into righteousness. But we do drift into acting in our flesh. You have to be intentional to chase after the king. You don't just end up there accidentally. And so for Adam and Eve, when they're hearing the voice of the serpent and Adam is following Eve's lead, they're following their own desires and they're not choosing to run to the voice of the king. They didn't go to their father and go, hey, father, there's a serpent that's tempting me. I need your help. They didn't go, hey, I hear this voice calling and I really want to go to it. Can you help me? No. They figured it out themselves and they fell on their face. And y'all, I'm telling you, I have three kids. And with my three kids, I see where I'm not in my sanctification process all the time. Like it's something about raising these little humans that sometimes choose less than, and I'm reminded of my own position. And I'm thinking about myself from my father's perspective. If I caught my kids in the midst of something that they should not be engaged and involved in, how would I respond? I know the answer. It's not pretty. Those moments in your head when your parents went a little cray-cray, like that's me. And you're thinking to yourself, all I did was fill in the blank. Why are they acting crazy? But y'all, that's not what we see the posture of our God. It's not what we see. There are consequences to sin because there are. The wages of sin is death. There are consequences to sin. Yes, there are. But I love the fact that our God still sought after these two that fell away. What we see from our God is that our king seeks. In the midst of their brokenness, did he run away from them? No. He did this crazy thing. He ran towards them looking for them. The king seeks. He went to find what was lost. Even in the garden, he goes looking for his beloved and goes, where are you? He didn't start yelling, Adam and Eve, I know what you did. Adam and Eve, how could you? No, the father goes and seeks what was lost. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, come out of your hiding place from your self-reproach, your covering, your secrecy, your self-torment from your vain remorse. The king went and sought after them and said, come out. You don't have to hide from me. Yes, you have fallen short. Yes, you don't measure up. But you don't have to hide because I'm coming to find you. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl in your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. See here, there, God is a God of justice. God doesn't let sin go, but we're going to see that God covers it and pays the ticket. That's the gospel. And if God wasn't a God of justice, if there was no consequence for negative action, then we would go, God, you're not a God of justice. He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't leverage that when we make a mistake to lean in and love us enough to say something and say, hey, you don't measure up. That wouldn't be a good dad if he didn't do that. 
He is a God of justice. So he goes, because of what you did, serpent, here are the consequences of your actions. Can I just tell you so many times when I get the consequences of my sin, I'm like, God, why are you punishing me? God, why are you punishing me? And God's like, Nick, I'm not punishing you. You're just reaping what you're sowed. We don't like that. We much rather if we reap something, we much rather there not be a harvest of that sin. But that's not the way it works. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Y'all, I'm walking in that. I do not like snakes to this day. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. I'm sorry, ladies. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Sorry, Adam, work is going to be hard. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The king disciplines. Why? Because he's a good father. It don't feel good. We don't like the repercussions of sin, but it is necessary. When I read that, I just go, whew. God, sometimes your grace doesn't feel very gracious. You allowed for them to sit in that tension and sit in the pain and to sit in their consequences. It wasn't because you were mad at them. It's because you are just. Verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Verse 21. Mark this. We're going to come back to it. The Lord God made garments of, of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the one man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take ulcer from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Whenever I read that, I was like, that's so weird. But God's like, no, you're not going to live forever in this sinful state. That would not be a blessing. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Notice, it says that God made for them garments of skin. So this is where death enters the picture, and God is the one who has his hands dirty. Why? To cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve. See, you see, you feel the echo of this gospel right here. A good, gracious God takes the life of an innocent, the blood of something that was innocent to cover the sin and shame of his beloved. One of my favorite translations of the Bible, one of my favorite Bibles is the Jesus Storybook Bible. I read it with my kids all the time. And to be honest with you, every time I read it, I'm like, I just learned something. <laughs> this is for kids, but I love the way they express it, and I love the way they write about that passage 21 in Genesis 3. It says this, but before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. 
He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would have all been over, and that would have been the end. Wait for it. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan. A magnificent dream. One day, he will get his children back. One day, he will make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping. <coughs> Sorry. God will love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. <coughs> Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you, and when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you, and he would one day, God himself come. The king covers. As I think about this mess that I made of this gift that I received, you would think, this is not going to be good for anything, but thinking through the lens of Genesis 3 and verse 21 where it says, the king covers. He covers with himself. He says, you know what, even though you have made a mess of all the things and you deserve less than, I will take that and I will restore it. I'll take the mess that you created, but I will offer you something new. I will take what is broken, and I will offer you redemption. It doesn't make sense that we deserve this, but yet the king has offered us this. It doesn't make sense that the king would take this on himself in the person of Jesus and carry it and pay for our fallenness and our brokenness in full and go, hey, I'll take the mess, I'll take the chaos, I'll take the ashes, and through me and me alone, I will give you beauty and what was intended again. But that's exactly what the king did. And Paul, in his letter to the church at Colossae, said this, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When you took beauty and you took perfection and you took perfect relationship when you fell short, when you were offered life, but you wanted less than. God made you alive in Christ. He took that chaos. He took that sin. He took that shame. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Our king took the chaos of the garden, 
took it on himself and gave us the peace of the manger through his perfect son, Jesus. Not because you deserved it, because you can't pay for a free gift. Not because you were worthy. He saw that you were worthy and he gave you something. I love that in, although we still keep running around with inadequate means to cover our sin and shame, our king offers us a robe of righteousness that we could not purchase, a signet ring of the family saying we belong to the family of God, and says, welcome, if you're willing. If you would bow your heads for me. Students, I don't know where you are on this journey but here in just a moment, we're going to get to respond through song, through the goodness of this gospel. But before our team comes back and leads us, where are you with the king? Let me ask you that question again, and this is just between you and the king. Where are you and the king? Are you still hiding? Are you still reaching for inadequate coverings of your sin? Are you still hiding in the shadows and engaging with the serpent? Or have you come out of hiding, step into the light of the king who has offered you a proper covering of perfection and redemption through the blood of his son who has surrendered on the cross to pay a debt we were unable to pay because we are bankrupt people. And our lives have bankrupted us. Have you accepted the more than substantial funds that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had based on his perfect life lived? And he paid a debt in full, canceling our debt. We are now no longer indebted to the enemy because the King paid the debt with his life. And three days later, overcoming sin and the grave and shame, he got up holding the keys to victory, and through his victory and through his perfect work on a cross in his resurrection, we can now have victory. Have you said yes to that gift? If you haven't, right here in this moment, just between you and Jesus, you can say, yes, King. Yes, King. Yes to the perfect life you live. Yes to your resurrection over the grave. Yes to my seat at your table and my robe of righteousness and my signet ring of the family that you offer to me through your perfect payment and your perfect resurrection. Yes, King. And if that's you right here right now, I encourage you to talk to a staff member or LJ. Or maybe you're in here and you know the King and you have sat at your seat at his table, but your life is not reflecting the kingdom. Or maybe you're struggling with something, you're struggling alone. Listen, you don't have to struggle by yourself. That's why the king gave us community. So, Lord, I just pray that whatever necessary step needs to be taken, I pray that it will be taken. No matter the cost, no matter how scared, I pray that a step will be taken. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came looking for me. Thank you that you came and sought me out. Thank you that you took my sin, my shame, and paid for it in full on the cross, and you paid it in full. Thank you that you have held the key to victory and you offered it to me. Thank you. Lord, we love you. 
not in and of ourselves, but because you first loved us. So may we, who are walking in step with this gospel, reflect you always, give off the aroma of your kingdom, and dwell in the light. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. A couple of quick announcements. Tonight from 4 to 5 p.m., the Calling and Career Development Office is hosting an Exploring Graduate School virtual info session. This is going to be a space to hear some commonly um, asked questions about um, how to go to graduate school, what to expect, um, all those kind of burning questions, but also have an opportunity for you to ask what questions you have in mind uh, about this opportunity to maybe continue your education. We have an expert joining us um, from Richmond Graduate University, so please tune in. It is a low commitment event. Uh, just pop onto your computer or on your phone anywhere you are and just um, absorb all of this really good information and hopefully gain some clarity about whether or not graduate school is a, a great next step for you, especially you seniors. You better tune in. Also, just as a quick reminder, we have our Brian Opportunity Dinner coming up in April on the 13th. Uh, if you are interested in attending, please register. You can do that through brian.edu. If you are interested in sponsoring or donating, please contact Janice Pendergrass. Her email address is janice.pendergrass at brian.edu. We hope to see you there. Have a good night. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. Make sure you subscribe and share, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.